You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. First John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And uh, if, I, you know if you've been here on Wednesday nights, then our theme over the last couple of months has been um, on love. And uh, we're going to do at least then one more message tonight, and then, we'll, uh, then I'll, I'll uh, set it aside for a little bit, and, uh, and we'll move on maybe to something else on Wednesday nights. But uh, we're going to be in 1 John 4, and once you find it, if you could go ahead and stand out of respect for God's Word, and then we'll read... Uh, read some verses beginning in verse 12 down through verse 17. 1 John chapter 4 uh, verse 12 is where we're going to start and if you're there say amen. amen. Okay all right. 1 John 4 12 it says no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. And John sure did write about love a lot, didn't he? And uh, we... Uh, We've gone through it, we've seen this trait over and over, but the reason it matters is because it's the one trait that sets God people apart the most. And, and, And when you understand then John's point here that I'd like to bring out tonight, you start to realize just how important it really is. As if you haven't already... Uh, gotten how important it is tonight. We'll look at this this passage one more time and and try to help us understand just why this is so important. And let's pray and ask God to bless our our time. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you bless the reading of it and bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, some things are better seen in person. You know what I mean by that. There are certain things that if you, if you can talk about them, but you really just have to see it, okay? How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon, okay? So the Grand Canyon is one of those things, I don't mean to rub it in, those of you that haven't been, but it's one of those things that if you haven't seen it, you can talk about it, you can see pictures, but it's much better to see in person. Uh, how many of you, uh, can you think, maybe give me some examples of things that you've seen that are better seen in person. And you can, you can give me examples, okay? What is it? The Northern Lights, okay? I'm sure maybe when you were in Alaska or hiking to the North Pole, whatever Brother Mark does. So 
okay? Northern Lights, I've, I've seen pictures, I've seen videos, but I think you probably really just need to see that in person. You'll just have to go to Alaska or somewhere way up there to do it, okay? Who else? Grandchildren, that's right. Fresh on your mind, better seen in person, that's right. Yep, I mean, wouldn't it be a bummer if all you ever got to do was FaceTime a grandbaby? So, yep, okay, Brother Jim. The, the Cliffs of Santorini, okay, where's that at? Where's Greece, okay. Yeah, that's why I thought I was just testing him <laughs> to make sure. Yeah, I uh, was not a geography major, but I've been to a lot of places. I've not been there, okay, I'd love to see it, Brother Jacob. An aircraft carrier, right? Okay, back in your, when you served in the Navy. Yep, okay, yes, yes. The Taj Mahal in India. I've, I've been to India, but I have not seen the Taj Mahal. Most of my experiences in India were not the Taj Mahal, okay? All right, um, what else? Yes, Miss Deanna. Live music versus a recording. Yep, right? It is different, isn't it? Uh, there's something about... That live, Brother Mark doesn't think so. But some of us who like music think it is different. You're right. That's exactly right. Okay. See some other hands. Anybody else? Brother Dana. Israel. You've been to Israel. Wow. I'd love to go. And I mean, it probably helps a lot of the gospel stories come to life is what I've understood. Yep. Okay. Who else? Yes. The Caribbean, right? Those blue, crystal clear blue waters. Yeah, all right. Who else? Anybody else? Yes. The Garden of the Gods in Colorado. I've been there, Colorado Springs. Beautiful red rocks. Yep, okay. We'll take a couple more. Anybody else? The Ark? Um, oh, in, uh, in, in Kentucky. Right, okay. Yeah, I have, I have been there as well. And it makes me just imagine what the actual Ark looked like. I mean, it, it's supposedly, you know, a replica. You've got to go if you haven't been it really is quite a sight. You know, there are some things, honestly, better seen in person. I, if you've ever been to the redwood trees, I've seen those. They're incredible. You don't really realize how big a tree can get until you sit at, stand at the base of one and it's over 300, tall, 300 feet tall. And, and you try to wrap your mind around it. I've been to the Grand Canyon, obviously. There are some man-made things that I've seen. I've seen the, the Eiffel Tower. And the Eiffel Tower is one of those you have to see in person. Uh, because, you know, the whole thing sits on top of the ground, so its foundation isn't underground, and you, you don't realize how big the foundation of that thing is um, until you stand right underneath it. There are certain things that are better seen in person, and, and, and that idea, in some ways, is what John tries to convey um, about the Christian life here. Because he starts with this thought in verse 12 that we can't see God. Look, it says in verse 12, no man has seen God at any time. John chapter 4 states that God is a spirit and a spirit we know doesn't have a body. Jesus Christ himself said in Luke 24, behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 says about Christ that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So um, the idea is that a spirit doesn't have a body. God doesn't necessarily have a body. I'm sure we'll know it's God, but it doesn't make sense with, with our brains to think of him as being confined or limited to a body like ours. And it makes the first two commandments of 
of Exodus 20 makes sense in my mind. Uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And the reason for that is you can't possibly with an image define God. You can't sculpt him and make him understood in the way that our minds think. And so idolatry is a limitation, putting limitations on God that, that are not accurate. And, and by the way, I would say about that, be careful about forming your view of Jesus Christ based upon a Hollywood portrayal or, or um, an actor, uh, how an actor looks or even a painting. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wary of those things because I don't want somebody else to define how I view the Lord. And, and we've got to be careful of that. I mean, if we're going to pay attention to Exodus 20, we've got to be careful of that. Be mindful of, of not just thinking, well, it's about Jesus and it's a show or a movie and I can watch that. I don't want somebody else to define my view of Jesus Christ. You know, at this time of year, we talk a lot about the incarnation. Uh, Jesus Christ stepped into a body and, and when he was born in Bethlehem, he gave us a glimpse of God wrapped in human form. That's what God was doing. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the Bible says, but that's the closest we've had to seeing God in visible form because God is a spirit. So no man can, we haven't seen God, but number two, the Bible says here in multiple places and in other places that God dwells in us. I mean, that's an incredible thought, isn't it? I mean, look at verse 12 again. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given of us given us of his spirit. Uh, verse 15, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in us. This is an incredible thought to think that God who doesn't have a body, who can't be limited to something physical, uh, he, he is dwelling in us. I mean, that's an amazing thought. And, and this is the same word dwell that John often uses the, for the word abide. And John was big on abiding. He says that we ought to abide or remain close with God in fellowship. And the longer we abide, the deeper our relationship with the Father grows. Like a tree who's, who has been planted for a long time, his, the roots just get deeper and deeper and spread further. And, or, you know, I was thinking about this, the longer you're together, the deeper your relationship goes, like an old married couple, you know, who they've been married so long, they finish each other's sentences and they even start to look alike, which is a little bit, you know, funny. But, but, but the longer you're together with somebody, the more you think like somebody, the deeper things go. You can't get that except with just a long uh, amount of time abiding. Fellowship uh, is built on abiding. And, and, and the, when we got saved, God, the Holy Spirit, according to verse 13, um, his spirit took up residence in us. And, and it's the spirits dwelling in us that enables us to love like God loves. He gives us that capacity and it, it's, it's almost like, and I know this is a silly or crude illustration, but it's almost like, you know, you download an app on your phone. I was with Caitlin, we were doing something and, 
and she, we were at, we were, went out to eat somewhere, and, and uh, you, they, this was one of those fancy places that makes you take a picture of a QR code instead of just giving you a, a menu. I mean, what if somebody doesn't have a phone, you know? So we both, so we were, we were both scanning, and she took out her, her phone, and, and she said, oh, I have to download an app for this because I, I don't have an app. It's been so long since I've used it. And, and so she had to download the app to be enabled to look at the menu. And I was thinking about the fact that, you know, when it comes to loving like God loves, um, the Holy Spirit has to be in us first before we can even think about doing that. There's no way in ourselves that we could love like God loves without the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The way that John 15 puts it, Jesus said this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth or remaineth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. The fact that, that, that God dwells in us is the only reason that we could have the capacity to love like he loves. And as we abide and our roots are established deeper, he turns that into visible fruit working in us and it gets worked out through our behavior. So God is, cannot be seen by man, but God dwells in us. The third truth that, that John gives is our love toward others reveals God's love through us. We're going to tie this together as we go. In verse 12, again, he says, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And that word perfected is a word we've looked at in the book of James um, multiple times in that series. That perfected, it's not saying that you're perfect, that you're without sin. He's saying perfected means to carry out to its completion, to be complete, to be to accomplish or to finish, to bring to an end. It means full maturity. And the fulfillment of God's work in us is that we will love like he loves. Now remember, it's agape love. It's unconditional love. It's love that seeks what's best for somebody else. And if you haven't gotten the idea that agape love is important, then, you know, or a big deal, I hope this helps you see it, you know, that, that if God does all the work in you that he's supposed to be doing, you will love other people the way that he loves. It's going to happen. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, Miss, Miss uh, Sandy, I love referring to our interpreters while they're interpreting. So do they go me or do they spell out their name? Okay, you just point to yourself. Okay, I was just wondering how that works. Okay, so Miss Sandy was talking about babies. You know, a, a healthy baby is, is the result of a pregnancy. And those nine months of, of, are a lot of hard work, aren't they? I mean, it's nine months of, of, of sometimes trials and sometimes difficulty and sickness. And yet the whole time that baby is growing and, and, and mama's body is being used um, God uses mama's body and nutri- nutrients and, and all the things that the, bi- the baby needs to, to grow. The pregnancy then is perfected or carried out or completed when that baby is born. Can you imagine going through all of that and having no payoff? 
I don't think that anybody here would volunteer for that. And, and yet, um, the payoff of God's work in us is love. And, and so it would be, if we never exhibit the love of God like we're supposed to, it would be like bearing a child but never having that child. It never shows up. There's no payoff. There's no result. There's no accomplishment or fulfillment. There's no perfection. And that's really important for God's plan to reveal himself to the world. Is that his work in us results in his work through us. That something is evident. And, and so let's go back then to the incarnation and connect these things. Um, look again at verse 14 here. He says, and we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. So when Christ came, he was revealing the father to the world. I think about John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the, only, of the begotten of his father. And then John wrote a few verses later in 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So Jesus came to reveal the Father to the world. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we'll connect these. But, but listen, Jesus Christ only lived down here for about 33 years or so. And then he ascended back to his Father's right hand. And he's been there for 2,000 years. So for 2,000 years, Jesus Christ hasn't been on earth in a body. In the meantime, God's revelation of himself to mankind now comes leather-bound. God's word is God's revelation of himself. It's been preserved for us, by the way. We believe that we have God's perfect preserved word right here. And it continues to be God's revelation of himself to the world but, but here's the question. But is this the only way that God reveals himself to the world? I mean, you, well, we talked about creation in Romans 1. That's one way that God reveals himself. But is this the only way? Is the Bible the only way? I mean, if you're talking about truth or doctrine, yeah, this is the way. This is the authority. But if you're talking about a visible, living, breathing look at what God is like, Look no further than the Christian who abides in Christ to the point that they start to love like God loves. See, it's, we, we sometimes think this is, God, this is the only way that God really reveals himself to the world. But according to John chapter 1, there's another way that God wants the world to get a glimpse of him. And that is when you and I let God work in us enough that his love is perfected in us. That we love like God loves. When a limited, finite person loves in a way that only can be attributed to a supernatural God. And it's a God-given thing that we could never produce on our own. I mean, that's hard to ignore. And the idea that John is giving right here is that the unseen God who was revealed to the world through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, can now be revealed in us, specifically in the way that we love each other. I mean, how incredible is that? 
I mean, we get to have a role in presenting a visible picture of God to the world. Do you realize how big that is? I mean, we've been given the privilege and responsibility of revealing God's nature and God's character and God's traits to the world. And John is saying, you ought to love because that's what your God is like. And I was thinking about the motivation of this. And to this point in chapter 4, you know, we've gone through a lot of these verses. We've been encouraged to love for some different reasons, okay? So we were encouraged to love because God is the source of love. And in other words, since God is love and he's given to us his, the capacity to love, then we should love each other. And that's like, so, so that's one motivation. And it, that's like saying, okay, since someone that loves you has, has given you a million dollars and permission to spend it, you should go shopping. I mean, how many of you think that you could spend a million dollars, okay? I think maybe I could. I'm not sure about $360 million, Okay, I'd probably have to just give a bunch of that away. So y'all should pray that I get $360 million. But not through the lottery, by the way. Only, be, only if I can become a professional baseball player, which I'm still counting on. So, No, but what that motivation is, since God has given you something like his love, you should go love. That's a pretty good motivation, right? I mean... If God has given you that love, you should go love. Another reason, though, that John exhorts us to love here in chapter 4 is the fact that God loved us first. That's another good reason to love. It's, uh, and I, I don't know that we need any other motivation. It's like John is saying, since someone loved you enough to rescue you from death, you should love other people too. That's a pretty good reason to love, right? I mean, if somebody saved your life and they said, I don't want thanks in return or gratitude... All I want is for you to go out and be a help to other people. You know what? I would feel obligated because I owe them that. But the exhortation, though, to love in verse 12 is a little different than those motivations. See, the first two reasons to love that we saw in John 4, or 1 John 4 was, again, number one, God is the source of love and he's given us the capacity to love. Okay, that's a good reason to love. Number two, that God loved us first. That's a good reason to love. But both of those, in some ways, are motivated by what we've already received. We've been given the capacity to love. We should love. We've been loved. We should love. And, and God, God has done those things. And I'm not saying those are bad reasons to love. They can't be bad because they're in the Bible. And the Bible says, love like this because of these reasons. But the reason that John gives in verse 12 is on a different level. See, John basically says here, love each other because the world needs to see what God is like. And that's a different motivation than the others. The others in some ways are like, I'm going to love because I've benefited from this. Well, in this way, in this form of love, we are choosing to love so that somebody else can benefit from it. We want them to see what God is like. And and they don't have any other ways to see what God is like. I mean, yeah, they have his word. And his word is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And his word, so then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. I know know that his word is enough. but, but, But pairing with his word is God's people letting God work in them to the point... 
that love is perfected and the world, not only then do they have the word of God to convince them, but they look around and say, well, there's something different in those people. That, that, that's not the way most people act. See, what John is saying, we should love each other and we should love others because the world needs to see what God is like. So that means that I have a role to play in letting the world see the character of God. We talked about how love is viewed in our culture last week. It's all about me. It's all about self. And, and you know, I love, it. it's all about what I get out of love. Very few people are representing the character and nature and love of God, agape love in this world. And if there's ever been a time that the world needs to see God's true love, it's right now. Because love is all about me. It's selfish. And there's a very missions-y type thought here. See, the way that we love is like a window that gives people a glimpse at what God is like. God is love. He is agape love. And he loves because it's his nature and the expression of his very being. He loves us not because we've earned it, because we couldn't earn it, and not because we're worthy. We could never be worthy. No, he loves us because that's him being true to his nature. He is love. And he so wanted our best that he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for us. That's agape love. And without agape love, God would have had no obligation uh, to, to send his son. And we would have had no hope for eternity in heaven. Be thankful that God is love. But be just as amazed that he wants you to show the world that same love. See, this is love lived out. Again, we talked about a baby. A baby is the fruition of nine months of pregnancy. It's the work being done inside and then you get to see the baby. In many ways, that's exactly what God is telling us that should be done in our lives with love is that his Holy Spirit is in us and he's doing work in us and we dwell with him and, and the, more, the more that we dwell with him and the closer we become to him, then, then love is the product of all of that work. It's love perfected. It's love fulfilled. Love working. God is, God's design for our lives comes to pass when we choose to reflect his nature. The world needs to see love lived out. It needs to see love working. And they need to see us reveal what God is like in the way that we love each other. Love that seeks the good of the other person. There needs to be a representation of God's love in our, in our culture and in our interactions with each other. And in the way that we love the lost. Is, so I'm asking you tonight, is love being lived out here? Is love being lived out in the people of Eastside Baptist Church? I mean, I think about it in our homes. Is love being lived out, husbands, toward your wives? Are you living out the love of God toward her? In your patience toward her? In your words toward her? In your spirit toward her? See, our standard for Christ's love is how he loved the church. I mean... And that is our standard as a husband, is love being lived out in our homes. And not just husbands to wives, but wives to husband. uh, is Husbands, is love being lived out in the way that, that you fulfill your role in the home with your husband? 
And you know, and I, you know, we talk about submission like it's a bad thing. Husbands, uh, the Bible says in that same chapter, we all submit to each other. I mean, there's, there's, we're all submitting to a role. And wives, how is your submission to the role that God has given you? I mean, how is your attitude and spirit toward your husband? Is love being lived out? Is it, is it a reflection of, of God's love in the way that you interact with your husband? I think about moms and dads. Is it love lived out in the way that you discipline and raise and speak to your children? And I mean, it, sometimes it's easy to let anger be lived out, right? It's easy to let frustration be what gets lived out. But the Bible says it ought to be love that gets lived out. And, and our children are watching us. And you know where they're getting their view of God from? They're getting their view from mom and dad. They're coming to conclusions, moms and dads. They're coming to conclusions about God based on what they see in you. What they, I'm not just saying you, what they see in us. I mean, in our homes, siblings, are you, is love being lived out? I mean, a lot of times we're talking about frustration and anger, parents with children, but that happens with siblings a lot too. You know, and siblings sometimes are the people we take the most for granted. And yet our siblings uh, they deserve to have a love lived out and not just anger, not just harsh words, not just frustration. Um, uh, can you imagine what it would be like if a group of young people like this um, loved each other the way that Christ loves them and, and they live out the love of God in their home? I mean, people would be like, what is happening there at Eastside? And that, I mean, you talk about getting somebody's attention. You can show the character of God based on how you love the people around you. Families miss the opportunity to show the world what God is like when they refuse to let love be lived out in their lives. We're missing an opportunity to show the world what God is like. Where else are they going to see what God is like? I think about at work, you know, is love being lived out in the way that you seek to help others instead of only looking for ways to get ahead yourself? And listen, being around, working with people that you don't necessarily, you don't get to choose, unless you're the boss, then I guess you do get to choose, but you don't get to choose who you work around and who you work with, and sometimes you wish you could choose, don't you? But you don't always get to choose, and it can be frustrating, and, and you can grow impatient, and, and yet somebody needs to show that person that's driving you crazy what God is like with perfected love. It is, it is love lived out when you have an opportunity, you know, to share Christ's love instead of, you know, being intimidated and keeping it to yourself. Uh, are you missing opportunities? Listen, countless Christian employees are missing the opportunity to show a workplace what God is like when they refuse to live out love. I think about the loss when you cross paths with somebody at the store or in the community do you practice love lived out? Or do you keep the message that Jesus came to save them from their sins to yourself? Because we have opportunities every day. And I would dare say that many of us bypass the opportunities out of intimidation or fear. And yet it could be that you thought, you know, you heard about divine appointments. It could be that God sent you to cross paths with that one person at that one time so that they could see what God is really like. And we miss the opportunities. Love lived out means you have a heart to tell the lost 
uh, about the Savior of the world, as verse 14 says. Too many of God's people are missing the opportunities to show the world what God is like because they refuse to live out God's love. I think about in our church, and I'm thankful that, that I see love lived out here often, but is love lived out in our interactions with each other? You know, how, how we serve alongside each other. You know, do, is love being lived out in the way that you treat your, your fellow church members? I mean, this is family, and sometimes we take family, again, we take family for granted. But how, how, how we speak to each other, or how we speak about each other, is it love lived out, or is it, is it something else? Is it God's working in me, or is it me um, expressing myself? What about our responses when we don't like something, or if somebody invades our space or we can be short with each other we can be territorial about things can't we is that love lived out are, are we willing to serve even if we never get noticed uh, when there's an offense do we make it about ourselves and refuse to operate based on the biblical pattern of love uh, or, or are we willing to submit to God's plan and say, it's not about me? Are, are we going to miss the opportunity to show the world what God is like and, and let love be lived out right here at Eastside Baptist Church? Listen, love lived out is the superior way. And me lived out. Typically, that's the, that's the fight. That's the conflict. I can either let God's love work in me and his love be lived out or I can let what I want, my pride, my selfishness, the things that I want, I can let those things be what determine what gets seen. But listen, it always, when that happens, it always ends up in a mess because all seek their own things. It breeds an environment of selfishness. And so the idea today, listen, is are you going to choose to operate on superior, better, more helpful love, a, a, a superior, better, more helpful level or on your level? Are you going to let God do the work and let love be lived out in you? Or are you going to continue to express yourself in your interactions with other people? And you may get your way in the moment, but you miss out on the opportunity that God gives you to let the world see him through your love. And I think it's, you know, we've, it's probably time for some Christians, and I don't know, I'm not saying this necessarily about members at Eastside, but... But if it applies, then let it apply. It's time for some Christian, Christians to finally let their love be perfected. Like, let's see it. Let's, let's let it be revealed instead of, uh, you know, saying, well, you know, we're, I've, been, I've been carrying this baby for five or six years. You know, I've been, yeah, I've been carrying a baby. I've been, I, got, I was saved over 30 years ago. I've been carrying a baby for 30 years. That's a long pregnancy. Well, it's time to finally bear the fruit you know if you've ever been you know been pregnant we have ladies in here at nine months and they're ready to have a baby right one of our babies was born in august and i remember going through the heat of the summer in oklahoma and you know toward the end of july my wife it was caitlin you know she's always been a you know always tested us you know but by the end of july you know we were like it, my wife was like it's time those hundred degree days are no fun you know, you get down to the end of that nine months and you're ready to have a baby. Well, you, if some of us have been saved long enough, it's time to finally show out. It's time to allow the work of God to be perfected in us. And, and not to be content to just, oh, I'm still in the beginning stages. Or, 
It's still processing. It's still going, no, it's time to actually let love be lived out. Because that is the sign and the signal of Christian maturity. You know, what, what a disappointment to, to be made for something and never fulfill it. And, and never have there be, have never be a payoff. And in what areas of life are you not allowing God's love to be lived out in you? How does that look like in your home? Is love being lived out or is it something else being produced? How does that look like in your relationships at work? In, in your witness at work? How does that look like in your testimony to the loss and your faithfulness to invite people and tell them about the Savior? What does that look like in your interactions with others right here at Eastside? Is love being produced? Because listen, every time that we choose to operate on something other than love, we are missing an opportunity to let the world see God through us. And I don't know about you, but man, I don't want to, if, if God has granted me that responsibility, I view that, I view myself as a steward of a pretty important and significant opportunity. And I don't want to miss it. And you ought not want to miss it. Let's decide that we're going to finally let love produce what God wants it to in our lives. And let's let love be lived out in us so that we don't miss an opportunity to let the world see God in our lives. He's, his plan to reveal himself through the world is he gave, gave us his word. He obviously then has given us creation. But he's also placed within each of us the capacity to love on his level. And that's no small task. It's no small responsibility. Will you tonight decide, I'm going to let love work in my life? I've been, I've been waiting. I've been just kind of in holding pattern way too long. And it's time for me to take some steps at home or take some steps at work or take some steps with, with the lost or take some steps with other people, even my own church family, that I haven't been producing love like I should. Uh, let love be lived out in your life so the world can see God. Let's stand together. We'll pray and have a verse of invitation here in just a moment. Maybe it's maybe just needs some self-examination tonight in some areas where love has not been producing. Something else has been leading the charge. Maybe something else has been leading how, how uh, your home is operating, dads. Maybe love, something other than love has been driving you to not be a witness at work. Maybe something other than love has been, has been convincing you that you don't need to be a witness. Maybe something other than love has, has been uh, producing the interactions you have with other people right here in our own church family. And I'm telling you, to live, uh, to, to, to not let love be lived out in our lives is to live an inferior way. We're missing out on an opportunity that God wants to, to use to reveal himself to the people around us. It's love perfected. That's how they'll know that God dwells in us. And let's be willing tonight to examine ourselves and compare ourselves with the truth of this passage. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.